I extend a very warm welcome to whoever might be listening right now. This is the first episode of Learning by Example, your weekly show about life, growth, and learning. This week's role model teaches us why we should play to our strengths and why we should be far kinder to ourselves. Mr. Alan Haynes is a jack of all trades. He has worked in the areas of education and law. He is a diamond speech and debate coach and has coached both state and national debate champions, a towering figure in his field. And we have the privilege of being joined by him on the air for an interview. Without further ado, let's get right to it. Why don't we start off with an introductionary question? Where are you from, Mr. Haynes? A little bit about me. Well, you know, well, uh, in terms of where I grew up and things like that, or, or, sure. or yeah. let's well, hear a little about your life. Okay. Well, I grew up in in, in San Antonio, Texas, um, and uh, went to uh, Holy Cross High School um, when I was uh, um, back um, back in the seventies, um, and um, uh, subsequently went to UTSA, University of San Antonio. Um, and, uh, so I majored in political science there. Um, it took me a while to figure out what I was going to do, but, um, I decided um, by the time, I guess I was a sophomore, uh, in college that I wanted to, to be a teacher. Um, and so I moved in, in, in that direction. Um, I still wasn't sure until I actually did my student teaching, um, at MacArthur high school. Um, and once I did that, I was convinced that I wanted to, 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 to be a teacher. So um, I started out um, at uh, Robert E. Lee High School, which is a, another story in and of itself, um, being an African-American man and, and working at a school and, and um, like that. But um, I found the kids there to be delightful. Uh, some of the people who are, who went to that school, I, I still keep in touch with on a on a consistent basis and regular basis. And some of those people have become really, really close friends of mine. Um, but, um, I, I taught at Lee, um, did a, um, I was an assistant principal at a middle school at white middle school for a year, which was certainly interesting. I, I, I didn't really enjoy that particular, uh, uh, effort in my life. And it had more to do with me than it was, uh, the situation. I just wasn't ready to leave the classroom yet. And, um, the the way that things worked out for me at that particular school was um, I ended up having to do, I was assigned um, discipline for 70% of the school. So I was essentially, that's all I did all day. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I didn't, I didn't like that. So um, uh, there was an opening for a academic decathlon coach and uh, speech and debate coach uh, at MacArthur where I'd done mm-hmm. my student before. So decided to go there. Um, and, uh, it was at that point I, I really thought also about um, what I might do if I decided I didn't want to teach anymore, if I didn't want to do an edu- be in education anymore, um, or at least in, in public high schools. I, I thought for a little bit about getting a PhD in uh, um, um, education and um, actually um, thought seriously about going to UT Austin, getting a PhD there in education and then becoming more or less probably moving up the line of doing something like becoming a superintendent or something like that. But, um, I, so I at had, that moment in your life, you were thinking about academia as a possible yeah. career path. Interesting. Yeah. 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 I was, I was, well, I, I, I either becoming a professor, um, in education, um, or, um, doing, uh, becoming a practitioner and actually, uh, um, like I said before, becoming an assistant superintendent and then a superintendent of a school. Um, I actually talked to a superintendent, um, and uh, he actually talked me out of it, <laughs> out of taking that role. Um, and uh, so I was, I, I thought seriously about it. And what happened was um, after I left um, at my, after I left Ed White and I started at MacArthur, I had promised myself that I'd give myself four years and I would either go back into administration, get the PhD or potentially go to law school. Um, and of those, I decided to go to law school. Um, and 
got into Northeastern and um, moved up to Boston, enjoyed Boston a lot. Was there um, any reason why you chose to go into law over staying in academia? Um, I think probably for me, um, I had accomplished everything I wanted to accomplish, I think, as, as, as a teacher up to that point. When I was at Lee, um, you know, I was fortunate enough to coach uh, the national uh, champion in, in cross-examination debate. Uh, we were perennial uh, uh, in terms of, of doing really, really well across the, across the state. Um, uh, we um, um, won state championships, won a national championship. We won championships in extemporaneous speaking, won championships in cross-examination debate. Uh, and we regularly placed um, – so we were really – really good so um after i went to after i went to um um ed white middle school um uh, one of the reasons why i went back to the classroom because I, I frankly i missed it i i, I missed coaching i thought i'd gotten it out of me and it and and i hadn't um and i there was a point where we needed to uh do um because i coached academic decathlon also at lee um, and so, um, we were really good at that as well. Um, and we got to state advanced state and things like that. And so there was a academic pentathlon that Northeast used to be part of. And so I put together the team at Ed White and we did really, really well that year. In fact, I think, I don't, I, don't, I know we finished in the top three, we may have even one. I don't remember. I, I, I all I know is that. After that competition and working with those kids, um, I uh, was pretty convinced that I needed to go back into the classroom. And so that's, that's why I, I took the position at, at um, MacArthur. But, and, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I thought about staying. In fact, I, I remember one of my students, uh, her name was Mona Perez. She tried to talk me out of going to law school. Um, she said I should stay and so forth. Mona is now one of the top voting rights lawyers in the United States. Um, so, um, we, we crossed paths to get in New York years, years and Boston and in New York, actually. What a small world. Yeah. But, um, but what, what, what happens, I think, is that a lot of people, um, uh, at least in the world of debate and so forth, a lot of folks, uh, migrated either to, um, the Northeast for school or, mm -hmm. to, or to California. Um, yeah. a couple of went to uh, Chicago and Northwestern, but a lot of folks went to Stanford. Um, a lot of the people I coached ended up going to places like Stanford, Berkeley, um, Harvard, Yale, um, NYU, places like that, Georgetown. Um, mm -hmm. So um, once you get up on the East Coast, especially, yeah. once I was there, a, a lot of these people who I coached when they were kids I ran into uh, again uh, because we were in the same city, um, mm -hmm. so that was that was helpful. Because when I when I was in law school in, in Boston, uh, by that time Myrna was was um, um, she was I don't know if she spent the summer there. Uh, no, she was at Yale, so she was close by, and she spent she had an internship that summer. So we used to uh, have. Uh, um, uh, lunch a lot because we are because our offices were right next to each other because I was at the U.S. Attorney's office and she I forgot where she was but uh, we would have we'd have lunch a lot. It's almost um, as if the activity feeds into those types of schools and those types of careers. Oh yeah, is there like a relationship between what a person does in their youth and how they choose to go on their careers or where they decide to go in their life? Oh, I think so. Mm -hmm. I, I think. You know, the more I, I don't know how many students recognize how important it is to do as well as can um, in um, in school. Um, I I think a lot. It, it's my view, and you know, I, I think some people probably differ with this, and so be it. But I, I think there um, there's an overemphasis in 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 um, high school on athletics um, mm -hmm. and um, 
Um, I, I don't think athletics is necessarily a, a bad thing. I think for some people it's a really good thing, but mm-hmm. uh, I think a lot of times it takes um, it, it takes up too much time, too much energy, and too much too much too much of the resources of, of, of schools. So, you know, I, I think a, a student who who decides that he or she is going to um, move into the area, whether it's you know robotics or speech and debate or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. I think students who go into those areas um, are more likely to choose um, Ivy League schools and and, and other schools like that. And I think the reason for that is because there's so many uh, debate camps and things like that that exist. And so you know, Dartmouth will have a program and Harvard will have a program and Georgetown will have a a program. All these schools, they almost incentivize them to apply. Right. Right. And so the idea, the reason they have those programs is because they they see that those as recruiting tools, right? So if you're you're a sharp kid and you say, oh, well, I'm going to go to, you know, Dartmouth for three weeks or four weeks, or I'm going to go to Stanford for three or four weeks um, at a camp or even just hearing about that or hearing people who went there, the word of mouth, you know, it, it makes a difference when you're there on campus or let's say that someone else went to a camp like at Harvard or, or, or Dartmouth or something like that. And then you have a debate kid in the middle of a round and they win. And they go, well, yeah. okay. So you went, <laughs> you, you went to, you know, to an Ivy league school over the summer. Uh, and I just beat you in a debate round. And what that does, I think, is that means that a student will um, begin to um, make a reality that says, mm-hmm. yeah, "Do this." Someone's someone has to someone has to go to those schools. People are going to go to schools, right? Um, and I think what happens, especially in speech and debate, is the the curtains peeled peeled back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not mysterious and you can actually see yourself fools. Yeah. And I think that makes a big difference. Just like there's some people who are really good at, you know, football um, mm-hmm. or, or whatever. We're good at athletes. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, they're kids that, you know, you know, there's a, a kid playing football right now um, who probably goes to camps and things like that. And, you know, as a whiz kid with a football, he can throw it, you know, and he can probably envision himself at a top program. At a top uh, D1 school, maybe right. at Texas. Yeah, like whether it's what whatever top programs are, the LSU or something like that. LSU, okay, well, yeah. yeah. So I'm going to go there or I'm going to go to Clemson, right? I'm mm-hmm. going to do that. And then that increases my chances of going to the NFL. So the, the, the kid begins yeah. the idea of, oh, why not me? Exactly. Why, why shouldn't I be the you know the quarterback for for LSU? Why shouldn't I be the quarterback for Texas? Why shouldn't I be the quarterback for that? Well, I think the similar process goes or happens in academics. So, well, why can't I get into Stanford? Mm-hmm. I get into Harvard. Why can't I get into Yale? Why why can't I get into NYU or Columbia? Mm-hmm. And the, you, you strip away that the barrier of, of finance, right? And I, and I think that's, that's an important thing, especially today when, I mean, if you do well in, in school and you recognize that, well then, you know, the scholarship money's there for you. Exactly. And there's no reason why not to play to your strengths. Right. So, so going uh, back to your teaching days, yeah. I want to ask you a, a couple of questions. Yeah. So tell me about a student that made you change the way you teach, if there ever was one. That maybe changed the way I teach, I talk. Yeah. Um, well, that's interesting <laughs> because uh, it was a young man um, who um, was in my world history class at Lee, and he was um, did really really well. I mean, he performed and he was in that regular class. He wasn't in the advanced class. Um, and 
believe he was a sophomore. He had to be a sophomore. Um, and he said, Mr. Haynes, debate. I went, oh, well, Tony, I'm not sure. I mean, you can go ahead and be there, but the, he was, there were things about Tony that, that, were, that were really rough around the edges. Um, a lot of grammatical mistakes he would, he would make uh, when speaking and things like that. Um, he had a habit of using ain't and, mm. and, and just those sorts of things. And it was, it was, it was weird because he came out for the debate team. I was going to tell him no, but I just didn't think he was, was going to be um, that, that, that good. Um, mm. And there was, we had some really talented students in Lincoln Douglas uh, debate by then. Um, and we decided to put him in Lincoln Douglas debate. So that's where he ended up. Um, and over the course, cause he would come in, he would stay a little bit later after practice. I would go over things with him. Um, and he, got to a point where he turned this corner mm -hmm. um, and he became really, really good. And he was kid that he, he, he would get to a tournament and this is when they have really large tournaments too. Um, and then he would get, he would, he would break by that. You know, it means that he would, back then you did three, four rounds of debate. So he would, he would, he would go two, two with high, with high speaker points and manage to break, you know, at a, at a tournament like that. Um, and then you would coach him up after he was going against these kids that were really at the top. And it sort of, in a lot of ways it helped him because he was breaking into these elim rounds and then he was seeing the sophistication that developed because mm -hmm. he was, he was getting beat. Right. But every time he got beat, he learned, Mm -hmm. um and by the time um he was a senior uh he had a lot of wins under his belt he, he qualified for the state tournament um he would place you know you know third i don't think i don't think he ever i don't think tony ever won a tournament i don't think he ever did but mm -hmm. the that I saw over the course of those two years was just fantastic. And mm -hmm. uh, it was an example of him getting to a point where he said, he, I remember he, he sat down and he, he, he said to me once, Mr. Haynes, I'm going to be good at this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that was, that was pretty powerful to, to be in a situation where a student had, that sort of faith that you could lead them there. Um, and uh, he did, he did very, very well um, overall. And, and I, I, his, 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 uh, his dad was a uh, former Marine, tough guy, so forth. Um, and I only met him once or twice. And I remember I met him he, he took, and he broke down in tears and said, thank you for, you know, you, you you just did so many good things for my son. I, I um, and he cried. His little tuppo Marini cried. I mean, it was really sort of an okay <laughs> crying. And I go now. <laughs> so, uh, um, but it, it um, I, 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 when I when I say that, I, I think it it's it, it wasn't necessarily. I mean, there there are people who are really talented and really good, um, mm -hmm. and um, they did ended up doing very very well, um, and. You know, Tony was was one of the ones where you go, okay, this is where you do a lot of your work because there's some people who are very very good. Uh, they get debate like almost immediately, and they're sharp, and they can come up with arguments. And all you have to do is is sort of guide them, right? Um, you know, years later, and actually when I was taking my PhD. Uh, when I took a couple of courses of PhD, that when we talk about management and, and the way that you treat em employees, and mm -hmm. and I think it's the way you treat you know students too, you know there there there's some students who 
you you have to take and you have to show them everything and you have to show them step by step this is how you get there you have to be very very patient with them um as they move on and you you want to work with that person and you want them to come become better and you have to be patient with them but over time better then you have the second employee who doesn't need that much or student who doesn't need that much help um or shouldn't doesn't need as much help i should say but they still need the guidance they still need to you know to 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 go through and remember you know the fundamentals um but they've got a good grasp on the fundamentals mm-hmm. once they're there then you can become more sophisticated with them over time and being patient um so you can give them more you know tools in their in their kit in order to to overcome problems and then there's another student or employee and that person you can allow them to do a lot of different things uh and most of they can do things on their own for the most part um, um, and they can also help those other employees or those other students, um, bringing them along. Um, and mm-hmm. so now you've got someone who can actually go back and teach your other employees or your other students. Um, and that's fun and that's exciting because that means that you really help to develop those folks. And then there's the last person um, who is, uh, who, who's there and, you know, the, the best way, I, I don't know what, what other way to put it other, other than the way that I was told this is there are some people that you get them to a point where you just let them do their job and, um, you get the hell out of the way. <laughs> yeah. And this so it's all fascinating. So, so you, 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 what you want to do over the course of time is get everyone to that last level. That takes a lot of patience and a lot of time. And it doesn't happen overnight. Again, what? Okay. That's, so for the listeners at home, you just got a little sneak peek into the mind of a debate coach. I hope being you may be followed <laughs> because that was a lot of unpack. It was strategizing, truly, truly fascinating. So I guess to go on another question, what makes okay. you feel inspired? What gives you motivation to become your best self? What gives you motivation to become my, my best self? Um, I think, you know, that, 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 that has to come from within. I think um, there, there's always, I think everyone has, a, have, everyone struggles with, with different things. Um, one of the things that, you have to recognize over time is that there's some things that you're really, really good at. Uh, there's some things that uh, you're not so good at, and there's some things you are really, really bad at. Mm-hmm. And accepting who you are um, is really, really important. And there are things that go on and you say, well, gee, I wish I could do this and I wish I could do that. And you recognize, well, that's not the way it is. What you want to do is you want to be the best version of yourself you can be. Um, and you, you have to work on it every day. I, I think it's important to, and, and, you know, different people do different things, right? I, I have a, I have a, um, a niece who is, uh, um, who is a, um, uh, a dentist. Well, I said, well, that's an interesting life choice. Uh, I would never want to look at people's teeth all day. <laughs> but that's what she does, right? Yeah. Uh, and, you know, there's some people who, um, you know, a good friend of mine who, who studies cancer, and he, that takes a lot of patience because he's got to do all this work in the lab, and they got to look at all kinds of stuff and enzymes and so forth and so on, and clearly that's not my world. Um, um but and then there's some people who can do a really good job of of getting up and 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 explaining things to people and breaking things down and I think I'm pretty good at that um and um the level of of of, of detail I think is really important but I, I think overall 
the most important thing that any person can do is, you know, when, when you get up in the morning, I think it's important to say, okay, how can I make this, a, um, for me personally, it's how can I make this a better world? Yeah. Um, and um, it's, that's easier said than done. Um, but recognizing your faults, I think, goes a long way towards understanding you as a person and understanding those inner motivations. So, so I don't know for you, <laughs> I think some people will get it. I think it's a great message for you when you were even a teacher or a debate coach or in general, did you ever have a feeling of altruism that your work uh, had a, a tangible impact on people? Did that make you feel happy? How did that make you feel? Yeah, I, when people, the bottom line, and, and, and maybe this is, is more to your, your question. I don't know if you've ever um, read Catcher in the Rye. Uh, I have. It, it, is, it is my favorite book. Um, all time favorite, top of the list. Um, and there is um, a part of the book and after paraphrase, where um, Holton um, Caulfield says, he's talking to his sister and he says, um, you know, I have this dream and when I have this dream, um, I'm on the side next to a cliff in this big field of rye. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of people, a lot of kids are playing near the field and, and my job is to make sure no one goes over the cliff. Mm -hmm. And if I had to do all day, that's what I'd, I'd do. Keep people from falling, you know, I'd be the catcher on the ride, be the catcher on the ride all day. Um, yeah. And that's how I feel. Um, and, you know, whether it's been as a lawyer or as a administrator or as a debate coach, I, I sort of, that that's where I've, come from. If you want to understand me, like I, I tell people, if you want to understand me, you read Catcher in the Rye. <laughs> and, and you have, okay, we understand. That's, so. That's really something to think about. So for the audience at home, if you haven't read Catcher in the Rye, give it a, give it a read. And I'd be surprised if you haven't, because I'm pretty sure that's part of the curriculum nowadays for middle school. Uh, really? Really? I middle school? So. I, I didn't read it until, uh, I don't remember when I read it. Uh, but I, I remember reading, I read it. It's a quick read. Um, yeah. and, um, I, uh, but, but that I had a, it had a profound impact on the way that, that I look at the world and, you know, um, there's a lot of cynicism in it too, I guess, but you know, <laughs> that's part of me too, I think in some ways, but let's talk more about your legal career. What, what gave you the law school bug? Did you enjoy it? Was it challenging? Any, any regrets, anything that you feel like, I am so glad I did this? Um, well, I, I went to Northeastern and I chose it for a couple of reasons. Um, Northeast, Northeastern uh, didn't have grades. Um, and um, I, I, I think um, people can get caught up on grades uh, a lot and rather than get grades we got evaluations and so you, you'd get like this your your transcript would literally be um some some of the professors would go on for a page and a half about what you did on the final exam but you got the sense of what it is you do and, and they would use superlatives like excellent you know or very good or good or um fair. You didn't want to get fair. <laughs> you wanted your work to be excellent, very good, or good. Uh, and so, um, but I, that was one of the reasons I, I chose it. The other one was because after your first year, you do the typical, uh, you have the typical, typical curriculum that all law schools have. Um, but after your second, once you begin your second year, you have to choose rotation and you go to a quarter system and then you actually go out and you uh, work uh, for a quarter and then you go to school for a quarter and you work for a quarter. Um, so I worked at the 
Bureau of Special Appeals, um, one, one, um, for one quarter. I worked at um, the U.S. Attorney's Office. Um, I worked at the Massachusetts Teachers Association. Um, and I worked for a small law firm that did a lot of, uh, defended a lot of airlines um, and also did a lot of products liability work. So, you know, if there was, if you had something that was, uh, you know, defective, um, they would, um, you know, they would sue uh, companies uh, who put out defective products and, and hurt people. Um, and so um, it gave me a nice round, uh, rounded education, I think. Um, and so I, I'm, one of the few people who could probably say, I, I really did enjoy law school. I enjoyed every minute of it. Um, and I, I went later, you know, I, I went to law school when I was 36. So um, I think that uh, it gave me a different perspective. Um, I treated it like a job, uh, which was important, I think. Um, but for me, it was, it, was, it, was a, it was a shift because, you know, I'd been teaching for a good number of years and now I was a student and I was a full-time student. Um, and it was a good break because I needed that break. I was, when, when I left teaching, I had, you know, I could, like I said, I coached national championships. I coached state championships. Uh, I had been nominated for teacher of the year. You know, I, I, I was at a point where I said, well, either I'm going to go back into administration mm -hmm. or I'm going to go to law school. And, you know, um, an interesting thing, I was talking to a couple of uh, students, former students of mine, and I had a whole bunch of them telling me, gee, you know, you should really go to law school. And they, they were actually in their first year of law school or so. And these people were in their first year of law school. They were telling me you should go to law school. I went, nah, I don't know about that. And because uh, they would come home for the holidays and I'd meet with them, talk to them, have coffee with them, something like that. Um, and... One day, and I, I, I never requested it, one day um, I, I went to my mailbox and um, because I think it was one of, I, I think there, there are two people who might have done this, but there are people who knew obviously these mm -hmm. students knew my address. Um, and so somebody filled out a, um, the form to request um, to take the LSAT. <laughs> And so it was completely, I mean, I don't know where it came from, but I got it and I looked at it for a couple of days and I said, oh, no, and I went, should I take it? Should I not take it? And I finally, um, yeah, it was really interesting. Actually, when I was with the, 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 the I was in the classroom uh, right before class and one of the students said it was, um, he was, he was a kid who needed a lot of help, a lot of help. He's yeah. very, very very, very talented, but he had some real serious emotional issues. Um, and um, I was contemplating um, taking him off the debate team. Um, and I think I, in fact, I think I, I think I did. I think I just kicked him off. And I was, and, and so I, I, I looked at this LSAT because I had brought it there to, to work yeah. with me. And it was like the final straw and, just, and I said, you know what, I'm going to fill this out. And so sorry to fill out Myrna was next to me. The one I told you was the, she's yeah. voting rights lawyer. She, she looked at me, she says, no, don't fill that out. You're too good at teaching. And I said, no, I'm <laughs> so I filled it out, you know, you know, um, you know the, 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 the good thing for me is, is I, I was blessed and, you know, Northeastern um, uh, gave me a full tuition scholarship. So, that was that was an important in terms of decision. Yeah. So, um, so I went. So, but it was, it was hard. It, it's hard to to have a regular salary and so forth, and then voluntarily decide to be poor, <laughs> <laughs> um, and, yeah. and 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 start over again. Um, and and that, that was tough. And a lot of people don't do that. Um, mm -hmm. But you know, I, I talked to a friend of mine, and I told him I was, you know, like as I was thirty five, going on thirty six, and. And, and he was the same age as me. And I said, what are you talking about going to law school for? You're old. So we're old. I said, you know, um, and, and I, I can't repeat what I said, 
<laughs> yeah. But I said, you know, there's nothing, essentially, mm-hmm. there's no right or wrong way to do anything. Yeah. Uh, there's nothing that says you have to do X, Y, or Z. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's nothing that says that when you get to a certain age, you have to do this or you have to do that. There, I mean, people make up these own, their own rules and then a lot, there's a lot of conformity around there. And, and, I, sort of, and I sort of blew it out of, of, of water here because now you know, I lived in San Antonio all my life and I said, okay, I'm literally going to uproot myself. I'm going to go to another city yeah. and start from scratch. Um, and a lot of ways that was just enlightening. It was, it was, um, yeah. How was the transition between San Antonio, Texas here and the hot Texas heat to a much cooler and more, well, radically different climate, both Mm -hmm. socially and I guess, well, physically over there in Boston? Did you adapt to it? Were you almost like fish out of water? I I, I think so. I was fish out of water. Um, at the beginning, and I didn't quite understand it. Um, and um, I remember um, the first time it snowed, and my my roommate was from Colorado, and he and as soon as as the snow forecast came on, he goes, "It's gonna snow," and he goes, "Gosh, it's gonna snow," and I went, "Why are you so upset that it's snowing?" And I, I didn't quite get what he was talking about, uh, and then. He, um, um, he, it was, uh, we, we, we talked a little bit of, of, about it and he said, well, you know, these are the things that are going to happen. Um, and I sort of, I think probably the biggest thing was, is this, are, are we going to close down? And he goes, Boston's not going to close down because of six inches of snow. That's not going to happen. <laughs> I said, really? Yeah. I said, no, it's not going to, he said, it's not going to happen. And I was like, Really? Because, you know, you get like a quarter of inch of snow in San Antonio and everything goes to a stop, you know. And this is, that's not the way it works here. And I was really surprised at that. I, I think the, probably the rudest awakening I got um, was um, um, they, uh, they said there was a blizzard was coming. And I had no concept of what that meant. Um, um, so um, I had... I figured, well, blizzard to blizzard. It's just snow with little wind. Who cares, right? So, um, and I, I actually lived in a, I, the first, my first semester or first year in law school, I lived in a, I lived in a dorm, mm-hmm. uh, a graduate dorm. Um, and so it's a real small room. Um, um, I, don't think it was, I don't think it was as big as my living room. It was that big. Um, probably smaller. Um, but anyway, <laughs> so I wake up and it's eerily quiet because usually you hear, cause I was, I lived uh, in a place where there's, um, there's a lot of street traffic, you know, it's a major thoroughfare, Huntington Avenue. A lot of people in, you know, go up and down and, and you know, you can hear when the cars go by, you know, as the traffic picks up. It was eerily quiet. I said, it's just, that was the first thing that, that was weird. Um, and then I opened the window, um, or not open the window, but I, you know, pulled back the, open the blinds and the snow was blowing horizontal. <laughs> it was horizontal. And it's like, it was yeah. like moving really quick horizontal. I said, oh, so this is a blizzard. Um, and you, you can't go out in it. Mm-hmm. And I realized I didn't have any food. Um, I, I had like, I, it was in the morning and I had, oh gosh, what did I, I think I had like a half a six pack of beer and uh, like, I don't know, maybe, I don't remember what I had to eat, but it was like, not cool because I was really hungry. So, um, because I, there was no place open and I had to wait for the, for the, for the, the wind to blow down before I could actually get any real food. Um, and so I learned that, uh, when you hear something like that, you have to stock up, but, um, before the blizzard. Um, so, but it, it was a, it was, 
it, it took me um, a while to decide that I was going to, st I originally intended to go to school in Northeastern and come back to Texas. Um, by the time in the spring, I decided that I was going to stay in the Northeast. And I, I want, I actually wanted to stay in Boston. I didn't, I didn't want to leave Boston. I wanted to stay in Boston. Um, cause I really did like it. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I liked it because well, I know I liked it. I liked it because there were a lot of different schools there, you know, between Northeastern and BU and BC and Harvard and MIT. I mean, you could walk down, you could go any place and, you, you know, strike up a conversation with someone. Oh, they're working on lasers or, you know, they're doing, you know, studies on, you know, different, you know, political movements or something like that, or they're studying the law um, or they're studying medicine, um, politics, so forth, so on. Um, so it's a brainy city. That's yeah, it's like a it. melting pot. Um, um, yeah, well, a melting pot in the sense of a lot of different people who were incredibly, incredibly smart. Um, and, you know, that's the industry of that, of that, one of the major industries, you mm -hmm. know, of, of that um, area of, of Boston. You just have all of these fantastic schools, high quality yeah. schools. Uh, and frank, frankly, you know, always Northeastern was on the, what was, it was a good school, but it certainly wasn't, you know, in the, in the BU or the Harvard or, or MIT area, but it was still a, a really good school and had a unique concept in terms of putting people out in the community and made its name for itself that way. Mm -hmm. And Northeastern was a, was a school that, that I think uh, had a particular interest in public service, which is, I'm pretty sure that's what I wanted to do when I got out, which I ended up doing. So. Fascinating. So a lot of the viewers at home are probably on the younger side and are still trying to figure themselves out. So yeah. in the spirit of that, if you could go back to your 18-year-old self and you could say Ooh, something man. to him, what would you say? What would I say to my 18-year-old self if I could go back? Yes. Um, probably you're smarter than you think you are um and don't sell yourself short um there will be opportunities out there um and when those opportunities themselves don't be afraid to 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 take them but don't don't ever think that you can't do something especially if you're good at it I think there are a lot of people who, you know, a lot, and, and, and this is a common thread among people who do really well. Um, and you may have heard of it. I don't know if you do, but it's actually, I'm doing a seminar on it um, in a, on Tuesday, on Wednesday, uh, called imposter syndrome. Um, and a lot of times people will get in positions. Um, they get into good schools. Uh, they get these prized internships. Um, and then they think, is someone going to find out that I'm not really as good as people think I am? Mm -hmm. now, I was a, I think it was a third or fourth year coach in San Antonio, in San Antonio, uh, at Lee. And I was approached by another school district um, to take over a debate program um, there. I'm not going to say what school district it was, but I was offered like, Hey, this has been an increase in salary, mm -hmm. um, full control of a program. Um, and I told them um, that I wasn't ready to do it, that I didn't think I was ready to do it. And an interesting thing, I remember when I was talking to these two fellows and you know, one is one does cancer research now. And the other one is a partner at a large law firm in New York. And they won the national championship for me uh, that year. And I was talking to them and I said something like, do you think I could, because I was assistant debate coach then. And so I asked, I asked them, I said, do you think I could run my own debate program? And um, 
the fella, his name's Noah Levine, uh, who was the, who's the partner at the law firm, his, his jaw dropped. And he looked at me and says, what are you talking about? Of course you, you could run your own program. That's, he goes, that's, it, it just like, <laughs> and I said, really? Yeah, of course. I mean, and it, it was one of those moments for me, you know, when you, and I was, I guess, about, I was about 30 or close to 30. Um, and I, it, it just, even though we, we were doing really, really well, and I, we'd done a lot of stuff together. And I had essentially coached, you know, the state champion the year before and, uh, and, uh, and debate. Um, and here I am thinking, gee, can I actually <laughs> run my own? Okay. And, 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 you, and, and, and that's that imposter piece that gets to you thinking, well, maybe it's, it's, it's not the kids or, or, or maybe it's just the kids and I'm just sort of here and, you know, they're doing it on their own and you can, you can come up with all kinds of rationalizations for that. You know, one of the most in, and, and I, 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 I grateful for this, but there are people who have done some incredible things academically um, and, you know, in terms of, you know, research and so forth. And I, you know, I, I think one of the things I'm most proud of is this guy who, who was, um, uh, who um, he's a doctor now, he's an MD, PhD. Um, he lives in, 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 in Houston. Um, and I coached him to the national championship as I said before. Um, but, um, he asked me to come to his, uh, dissertation, um, when he was giving his presentation for his PhD, he wanted me to be there. And I remember it was crazy because it was in New York. And so I, I got on the FDR. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but the FDR is this highway that's like very narrow mm -hmm. and you know, a lot of traffic can just pop down. And so I was just terrified that I was going to be late and I wasn't going to be able to make it. Um, and I made it just in time. He had just started um, when I, when I went into the room and he goes through this, through this whole thing on what he was doing and so forth. I understand a word of it <laughs> uh, because it was, um, you know, it was, it was, it would dealt with, with, with how you, you know, cellular structure and, and, and all kinds of stuff. But that's all I remember. But at the end of the day, uh, in the last, um, piece when he's dead and when he, when he said, I wanted to dedicate this to, to people. Um, and you know, he thanked his, his, his mom. And then in the next slide, he said, I, I need to thank, uh, my, my old debate coach. I went, Whoa. That's was pretty special. Um, Sounds so powerful, to say the least. And you know, and and he's not the, you know, it, it's you you hear stories like that, or you, you, people do things like that, and they say, "Gee, but for this person, I wouldn't be up here giving this." Quotation. Mm -hmm. I go, no, that's not right, you know, um, and. But, you know, he, he's told me that more than once. Um, and, you know, but it's, it's so I, I think sometimes we forget, or I forget, you know, the, the incredible impact that you have on, on, on people. Um, every now and then, like on Facebook or something like that, someone will send me a, a message. <laughs> I, and I've gotten two in the last couple of years. Oh, you probably don't remember me. Um, I was in your government class you know, way back when, and you taught me so much. And they're, they're right. I, I don't remember them. I, I really don't. Uh, because if you think a look at it, you know, I, you know, I remember my, my debaters because, you know, we would get on a bus and we would go to Houston or we'd go to Austin or we'd go to Dallas. Um, and, you know, we'd stay overnight. So obviously you knew all those people, right? But so, But if you're talking to those people walking out of class, I had like maybe 30 people in a class uh, in any one time and you have four sections of, of, of government, uh, well, four sections of the government with 30 people class. So it's 120 people. 
and then you multiply that by more than 10 years, that's 1,200. <laughs> that's, a, that's a lot of people. That's lot of over, people. there are thousands, you know, over, you know, and I don't know. And mm -hmm. I can't remember all the people who I taught, but I, I know that I've had an impact on a lot of them in a positive way. And that, that makes you feel special. It goes to show the power of a role model. So I guess to pivot on that question, yeah. why do you think so many people look up to, let's say, people they shouldn't be looking up to? Say, for example, people who have really just prioritized some things in life that really aren't just working. Do you think that having a positive role model early on in your life can have a profound impact on your development? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, uh, for, for me, you know, there's this, there was this man who went to my church and, and you know, his name was Marion Balls and, you know, and I, uh, you know, he was a father figure to me in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, I met him when I was, well, he taught me when I was, when grade was I in sixth grade? Yeah. He taught me, he was my sixth grade teacher. Um, and he was in charge of like, uh, he wasn't in charge of youth ministry, but he was like, did all the legwork for, mm -hmm. <laughs> for ministry. Um, and so I got to know him very well. And uh, I, and um, so, from so I kept in touch with him for the most part from sixth grade when I was what how old are you when you're in sixth grade? Twelve ten, I guess, twelve, eleven, something like that. Around so, so about about ten years. because um, I went to that same church. Um and uh over that time period. So I kept up with him until I actually started to 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 teach to to teach. Um, and I got my first job. I got my first job teaching when I was really young. I was like 22. It was crazy. Um, but, um, I, um, yeah. So when he, he lived up in Connecticut and I had known that he was there. And I, when I graduated from, from Northeastern law, I asked him, I, I invited him to, to come, um, to my graduation and he came. I hadn't seen him in a long years and years and years. But I'm glad I invited him because he was, I mean, he, and I told him then, you know, you were like a father figure to me. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I know, but for, you know, that man, I, I don't think I would, a lot of the things that he said, the way he, he comported himself um, I always wanted to emulate that because, you know, we cared, you know, he was a, a, a good guy, um, and would always be willing to help. Um, um, so yeah. So to all the people who maybe lack that figure in their life, what do you want to yeah. say to them? Um, there's someone you know, yeah, you, you have to find them, um, mm -hmm. whether it's a priest or a teacher or you know, um, you know, social worker. Um, they're there. They're, they're always mm -hmm. going to be there that are going to be willing to help. And you have to, you, you have to find out who those people are, um, and it it can take some time, um, but I think most people. Um, will either find hope, you know, it, it's, it's, it's bad when a, a kid ends up with a bad role model. Um, you know, it's sort of like, uh, you know, you, you don't want to be, if, you, if you've ever seen the old movie, The Karate Kid, you know, you, you want to go to the right. That's exactly what I was I, thinking. <laughs> so, uh, you know, they're good. You know, you, you, I mean, there's a Mr. Miyagi out there for everybody, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, but you, it, it takes a while to find them. Um, 
and but and you don't know when they're gonna come into your life and and when people like that do um you you do make sure you you appreciate that um um and 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 even even in terms of i mean i you you're always gonna have mentors i mean when i went to the da's office you know um one of my mentors was um my main mentor was my my, my bureau chief um mm -hmm. a fantastic fantastic man fantastic warrior um and um really taught me how to ask probing questions um and and how to approach cases and and how not to, i mean the probably the best piece of advice he ever gave me was that, like this is don't you know, I want you to remember that when you go into the courtroom, you know, your job is to be the best lawyer in the room. And that includes the judge. Remember, the judge is just a lawyer in a robe. That's all it is. <laughs> so, you know, there's nothing special. You know, he took the bar exam just like you did. He's just more politically connected than you are. That's and, and that's when you start looking at it that way. I think yeah. it's it 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 levels that playing field for you. Um, but you know, it was one point he told me and, and I never forgot it. Uh, but he said, you know, he said, you know, you have the talent to be an excellent prosecutor. And if I don't get you there, that's on me. That's my job is to make you the best lawyer that you can be. And, 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 you know, those, I, I still remember him saying that. And, um, he was, I mean, he was, he was, uh, he just retired not too long ago. Um, um, but, um, yeah, it's, um, it's amazing. It's amazing. Amazing man. Amazing story. What do you do to keep on learning things? Is there a favorite magazine, favorite podcast? What news do you listen to? What news? So I, I'm a well, I'm a I'm a news junkie, um, so I watch the news all the time. Um, you know, I watch. Um, I think um, I, I have to. Part of what keeps me sharp is I, I like to teach, and so I'm, I'm teaching, of course, right now on race and the law, which means I have to be on top of things and um, and understand where we are. Uh, we've been talking about police brutality, as I've been reading. You know, some of the previous consent decrees uh, that the um, Obama administration had put in place that, that um, you know, um, the Trump administration gutted, um, but knowing that history and so forth. So, you know, I, I reading the law and reading, you know, different law review articles and things like that, that, that keeps me sharp. I think, um, to be honest, you know, one of the things that I, I like, it, it may sound funny, but, or, or weird, but, you know, I, I, I do have a, I do have a PS4. I don't know if I'm going to get a PS5, but I do have a PS4. Uh, and I do, um, I, I do play, um, you know, the, the, the football game a lot, uh, the Madden football game a lot. And, and it, it's, and I, and I played a pretty high level too. Um, I, I pushed myself in order to, but it's it's one of the things is that having to guess and try to figure out where you can throw the ball where you can't understanding what sort of place you can run and the and the computer gets harder if you start winning <laughs> the, the, the the it will start throwing more things at you and yeah. uh, and recognizing coverages at what I still can't do um, is important but it's a, like a puzzle mm -hmm. and so it keeps you. You, you look at the game and, and, and you think, well, wow. But I, I think in one way what it does is you don't know what it's going to throw at you. Um, and um, sometimes you call the right defense and it, it turns out well for you. Other times you, call, you, you know, but you recognize the sort of things that you can do there. And so it, it's different. It's outside the box and it, it helps, um, it's it's like a it's like a brain teaser. Like some people do puzzles um, and things like that, you know. And for me, you know, sitting down and trying to figure out, okay, how do I, you know, come back or um, if I've lost, 
my game, or if I keep throwing interceptions, you know, and, and you, you find that you change your, your strategy and you, you find how to go about building a team. One of the things that's, that's really fun to do is to take a team. And I always do this too. I always take a really bad football team and I move it to San Antonio because you have that ability and you can be in a, in a franchise mode <laughs> and build it over time. Um, because you're dealing with less talent. And so all of the people, they don't have these incredibly high ratings. The, the, the players that you're playing with, they have these ratings in the seventies and you got to get good at it. And so it forces you to, because they're, they don't react as quick and they overthrow things. And you get Tom Brady, you're going to throw, you can throw it to him and you know, the top receiver is going to catch it and that's it. But if you have a, someone who's in the seventies, they're not going to be able to do that. Uh, so, but it's, it's fun doing that, uh, over the course of time. And, but, um, and it, it helps relieve stress too. So you know, I always have to do that. I think one of the good things, one of the things I need to do, um, also, and I, I don't do enough of it is walk and, <laughs> and, and, you know, walk and, and, and run uh, a little bit. That, that's always helpful. I like doing that, but I don't do it enough. So to kind of end up on the spirit of optimism, if you could be speaking to a person right now who might be down on his luck and might feel and might be struggling with imposter syndrome or mm -hmm. who maybe is just lost in youth and doesn't really know who he or she is, what would that message be? Try to figure out what things do that does that person do well. Um, and go through the process of understanding. There are a lot of things we all do well. And I think, you know, God gives people certain talents um, and to recognize what those talents are and, and to find people to help you recognize those good talents in you um, in order to become better at it. It could be a, a different things, right? Um, with the right mentor, I probably could have been a pretty good sketch artist. Uh, mm -hmm. That's something I really developed, but I can sketch. And I, I took a couple of classes at it and got pretty good at it. Um, it's something I might do in the future uh, later on, but understanding, okay, I've got this talent, right? That quite frankly is very raw and it's never been really developed, but figuring out what those talents are and then recognizing that, um, you know, you can, you can, if you keep that attitude of things will get better and you don't, there's a tendency for us to, to, to overemphasize when we make mistakes. I think that's something that people do. People will beat themselves up. They'll have, you know, um, you know, I, I can, I can look back on, um, my, my transcript and, um, I can say, have I ever made a D? Yeah, I've made a D's before. And you can say, God, I made a D. And, but then you look <laughs> and you realize, like at Holy Cross, I finished 12. Overall, or tied for 12th or 13th, something like that. Um, so why would you focus on that one D that you made that one semester? Yeah. <laughs> one six weeks. You know, and we'll tend to go back in. I can I know what it was, I know the you know what grade it was in. I, I still remember that I still even remember the number of points I got. You know, and you can beat yourself up over stuff like that um, unnecessarily, right? Instead of looking, okay, let's take a bigger picture here. Overall, you know, you fluctuated between six and 12 in your class over the course <laughs> of four years, right? And frankly, I would have been higher in the class if, if, if you know, if, if they had shifted. And I think right now, um, you know, in terms of honors classes versus non-honors classes and so forth, you give more points. Well, then I probably I, I know what I would. I would have been the top ten. The easy, 
you know, and, but, you know, even looking at that, right, you take a look at that and you go, okay, I can look at that in a positive way or, or a negative way. Well, you know, um, so I, I, I guess, you know, thinking and, and maintaining that, that sense of being positive and that's easier said than done. Um, because we know we're going to make mistakes and we hate doing, I, I, I hate, for example, when I send something out, you know, an email out and it's got a typo on it. I can't, you know, it's like, my gosh, I mean, and, and it, that bothers me. That'll bother me all day. Right. That's it's, it's an email, right? You know, it's not like, you know, there was a, you know, a nuclear explosion, you know, yeah. <laughs> put it in perspective. Right. Um, and I, you know, that was, you know, when you make a mistake, um, you know, there's one of my other mentors, her name is Joan King. When I was at Brooklyn law school, um, I, I made a mistake. I, I sent out something, uh, to students and it still had the track, the tracking on it. Um, and cause I didn't save the document. So if you clicked on tracking, you could see all the edits I had made on the document before I sent it out, which you should do. You need to save it. You know, you, you get, you, you, you save all your track changes. You put it in there. Then you copy another document, make sure you have ways to make sure you don't see any of that stuff. And I didn't. And I was really, you know, I was down on myself about it. And so she told me, she goes, you know, um, I was talking to a person once and he says, you know what he does? He, he always keeps this file on his desk and it's on Paul. And I don't know if you know about Paul but it was this massive, massive accident, uh, um, explosion that took place uh, in India. And they were just, I mean, it killed a lot of people, right? And she said, Alan, that's a mistake. <laughs> you know, you know, sending out something with track changes on it, that's not something to worry about. And it's all about I, framing yourself correctly. It's, it's, it's your perspective and how you, do you learn from those mistakes that you make? Mm -hmm. um, because if you learn from the mistake, well then, okay, that's fine. You know, if you continue to repeat the mistake, now a lot of people do, right? Um, then, then that's where the problem, the growth comes from, I made a mistake, can I move on, you know, how bad is the mistake, put it in proper perspective, and then move on to the next level, knowing that you've learned something. I want to extend my deepest gratitude towards Mr. Alan Haynes for giving us the opportunity to ask him a couple of questions. I genuinely appreciate his time, as well as yours. I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. If you learned anything or found anything enjoyable in this podcast and you want to find more, Check us out on Spotify under Learning by Experience. And soon enough, you will find us on iTunes and Google Podcast. To quote one of my favorite educators, John Green, don't forget to be awesome.